Mary Grothy, CEO of Sales BQ. Welcome to this episode of the Quota Crusher podcast. I have the pleasure of introducing one of the biggest names in sales training and sales consulting and sales coaching. We have Ms. Deb Calvert on today. Deb, welcome to our show. Oh, Mary, thank you. I am so honored to finally be here with you. This is going to be great. You know, it is, and you and I are aligned on a very similar mission and what we do with the teams that we get to work with. We care a lot about behavior and buyer behavior specifically and how sales teams are aligning their behavior with the way the buyers buy. And I love our essence of the behavioral quotient, which is in our name, BQ, Sales BQ. And you're the first that I've come across in the industry that embodies the same philosophies that we do when it comes to buyer behavior specifically and how the sellers are aligning with that. And I'd love to hear your history on how you came to this, how you came to be passionate about the behavioral aspect of sales on both the seller's and buyer side. And you've written a couple of pretty amazing books. So there's, a, there's an awesome backstory here and I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah, well, I, it, it happened by accident in a way because for the longest time, 15 years in business for myself, um, after working at a Fortune 500 where I also had a dual role, for the longest time, I was operating in two parallel tracks. Some days I was doing things related to sellership. Some days I was doing things related to leadership. And it's as if those two things never quite crossed paths. And I was very compartmentalized. Until one day, uh, the body of work that I use for leadership, which is very much behavior-based, it's um, an evidence-based framework for leadership called the Leadership Challenge, and it's all made up of behaviors. It just occurred to me, I, I, I wondered what would happen if sellers adopted these behaviors that we know make leaders more effective. So I took that to the authors of the Leadership Challenge and they've been doing this research globally for over 35 years. They're researchers, academics, and authors, and they were intrigued. So we launched a huge research project uh, with B2B buyers and we were asking them for each one of these 30 very specific discrete behaviors if a seller exhibited this behavior more frequently, would you be more likely to buy from that seller? Would you be more likely to even meet with that seller? And we also, before that, even we asked, um, you know, what's the average frequency you see now in each of these behaviors? And what would be the ideal frequency? So what was really cool about the research is that for every one of those 30 behaviors that are more associated with leadership, every single buyer in the study wanted higher levels of frequency in every single one of those behaviors. And every single person in that study also said, yes, I would. If somebody demonstrated that behavior, each one of the 30, more frequently, yes, I would be more likely to meet with and more likely to buy from that person. So we knew we were onto something, then we had to go do seller side research, then we wrote a book. Yeah. Incredible. I love that this is so data-backed because it's not just an opinion. And we love saying here, opinions are valuable, but data is priceless. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to hear, I want you to dig into it. So can you give us insight into one or two of those behaviors that just came back from the seller's research or of the buyer's research that, hey, if my salesperson did this or this more frequently, this would make me more. Absolutely. Um, now, we, those are grouped into the five practices of exemplary leadership, but I'm going to go straight to the practice uh, out of the five that had the most emphatic buyer response. They wanted all of them, they liked all of them, but grouped underneath a category called enable others to act, there are six behaviors, and these are the ones that buyers preferred relative to all the rest of them. 
And one of those, the one that came out at the top, is that uh, buyers want sellers to engage in two-way dialogue. They don't want it to be feeling like a survey, a diagnostic sit-down when they have a needs analysis or a discovery with you. They want there to be more back and forth in two-way dialogue. And they, they want, in fact, they, they demand that sellers answer their questions when the question is asked, not when it's convenient, you know, despite what you might have heard that you're never supposed to answer the price question too soon. Uh, buyers, they're savvy. And uh, they, it, it plants a little seed of mistrust if we duck or dodge their questions. So that's one really big one that's surprising to a lot of, of salespeople. Okay, I love this conversation and <clears throat> I'm so thankful for you right now that this is the message that you're spreading to the teams that you work with because it echoes what we say too. And I know there are proven methodologies out there and so many sales traders that have done their own research and they're very passionate about the way that they teach things as well. And there's a thousand different ways to go about selling something, but I have found the same to be true with what you just said. One of the things that we're passionate about teaching is aligning your selling style with your buyer's buying style. And when you look at how a, an individual specific buyer, because they're all very different, wants to buy, and you can tell in the way that they're line of questioning, you can tell by their body language, you can tell by their tonality, their word choice, you can tell by how conversational they are or are not. And if you're great with your awareness and reading this person, you know how to pivot and stay to, uh, what's the toe, toe, step, step, whatever the saying is, but stay whatever the saying is with them. And one of the biggest pieces is the price question. So I had eight years selling B2B mid-market SaaS sales coupled with a service, and I sold the CFOs. I also sold, sold the VPs of HR. The conversations look completely different. <laughs> yes. They have CFO, different <laughs> oh, so different. The CFO could not progress in a conversation with me until they had an idea of the budget range. Mm -hmm. That's their day in the life. It's yeah. their job. It's what consumes them, not just in their eight to five. It's how they're wired. It's how they process information. It's how they make decisions. It's mm -hmm. how they can progress in the stages of the conversation. And when a salesperson has been coached or trained to withhold or the information or be, you know, use the great comeback, well, gosh, I wouldn't even know what to quote you until we yada, 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 and go through this process. And I don't know if you need the Cadillac or if you need the Toyota. And I get all that. And there's a time and place for that. But I've had success hitting the CFO. I know my price book. I know what it's going to cost. And I'm a wicked smart salesperson. So by the time I'm meeting with the CFO, anyway, I've done enough due diligence and I have a an idea of what I'm going to be selling them. And when they bring that back to me, I'll say, and maybe I don't know enough, but I'll put the caveat in there and, and let them know. Don't hold me to this because we haven't gone far enough into the process that I can give you exact pennies, but you're going to be somewhere between 20 and $30,000. Is it worth it for us to continue the conversation or do we need to pause and look at alternate options? And just bringing that up and giving them a range, it's like all of a sudden, emotionally, physically, mentally, like everything changes. Yes, indeed. And you can progress. And you've just dignified that individual instead of making them feel like they were out of, out of place or out of time somehow. It's really mm. important. So great. I love that. So this, uh, so you have two books. The one is about discover questions and that one came out 2013. Is that right? It is uh, already seven years ago and yet it still remains a bestseller and it's, uh, it's <laughs> selling more today than it did three years ago. So it, it's all good. And who does this book cater to? So I'm going to just, I, I have not read it. 
And I'm going to just take a guess that it has something to do with questions in the discovery process. And um, so tell us a little bit about this book and really uh, more people are consuming it today than they did previously. Who do you think is learning the most and getting the most out of this book? How is it changing the way that they're selling? So DISCOVER is an acronym. It stands, each letter stands for one of the eight purposes of asking questions. After 20 years of field research with over 10,000 salespeople in the field, I was looking for, the longest time I was looking for a ninth purpose for asking questions because I had it in my head. I wanted to get the word DISCOVERY. And then finally one day I went, wait a minute, DISCOVER's a word. I'm done. <laughs> Let me write the book now. <laughs> so I always challenge people. Um, I, you know, if you, if nothing fits, if, if there is truly a ninth purpose, let me know because I'm up to changing it if we need to. But that's been over 10 years and, and we've never found anything but the eight purposes for asking questions in sales or in any other part of life. So when you know the eight purposes, you get to mix it up because most salespeople only ask questions for three or four reasons, which leaves a whole lot of, of unmined type of information that you can get to efficiently and be really effective with. The people who tend to get the most out of this book are, I'm, I'm going to go to two groups, um, salespeople who are relatively new. And I didn't expect that when I wrote the book, but I do have some fundamentals in the beginning of the book and some uh, thoughts about building rapport right off the bat and making sure that your intent, your intent to serve a customer is, is going to steer you the right direction. So that seems to be really good for people who are new or not fully confident in selling. And then the other group of people that I never expected is uh, business owners because they don't want to be salespeople, but they figure out that they have to sell something or know how to sell something. So this book seems to help fill that gap for them. But yeah, it, it's been great for SDRs. It's been good for senior level, complex sellers. It's, um, it's pretty universal. And it was written to be that way. Just discover, we, we position it as a tower. We call it the tower of power. Any sales process can sit on top of it and be a little higher. We can elevate. Uh, that's incredible. So it's officially on our list. As a company, we do book club. My team does book club and we pick a book. So it's on our list. And when we find those books that we love, we make it required reading for the salespeople that we get to work with. And so I already love it and I haven't even cracked it open, but <laughs> I love what you put together. I just feel like that simplicity that people can come up with an understanding of how to restructure a conversation. Uh, I love aligning the fact that you have these discover questions, not just for sales, but also for leadership. It's great for business owners, but it also aligns with what you were talking about on the first part of this podcast is when you look at how the buyer want to interact, wants to interact in the sales conversation, they want a conversation. They don't want one way dialogue. And so I think that the two probably go hand in hand in making that sales conversation even better. So I'm very excited to, uh, to jump in on that. Yeah, what I, what I call it as a contrast is the old school is diagnostic. Just like a doctor, you go in and they ask you maybe three questions and they're in a hurry to write out that prescription. They're just looking for the opening. And that isn't what buyers want, just like we don't want it when we're sitting there in the doctor's office with three other things we'd like to talk about. So the contrast to that is that it's a dialogic process. Your discovery process is a two-way dialogue where you engage and involve the buyer more you let them feel like they then have a, a part in creating the insights that come and later the solution that comes. And, you know, they're saying yes before you even ask the question, if, if you get that involved. Um, yes, agreed. And my favorite part about sales and what I strive for every time is that they ask me how they get started. And I never yeah. even have to ask the closing question. 
And I know that that's a product of exactly what you just explained. You use the word buy-in. If they're along for the ride, they're acknowledging and articulating the problem, able to put a quantifiable ROI to that. The words are coming out of their mouth, not the salesperson's mouth. And you're navigating the journey with them. They're part of figuring out what the solution is going to be. They're not being dictated to uh, what they need. And of course, the buying, the ownership, they're along, they created it. It was co-created, the solution. So how do we get started? And I think that it is so refreshing to hear. Again, I just, I'm already like crazy about you. And I'm so excited <laughs> that we're doing this. We just think so similarly. You made a, a, a comment earlier. You, you used a word that I know you're very passionate about. And I'd love for you to tell our audience about your mission behind the word sellership. Now you told me that you've been using this term for a very long time and you use this term like it's been around forever. But the fact is this is not a real word, but it's on its way to being a real word. You're behind this mission. So why don't you talk about sellership versus salesmanship? Yeah, I launched a crusade at the beginning of the year. And it's a crusade to replace the word salesmanship for two reasons. First of all, if you say the word salesmanship, which technically by the dictionary, that means the ability, the skills, or the practices of selling. But if you use the word salesmanship, people think about used car salesmen. <laughs> they think about this old, outdated, icky stereotype that nobody wants any part of. So it's a bad word. Mm -hmm. On top of that, it's a gender specific word. And that doesn't exist in most places. You know, you, you no longer have a steward and a stewardess when you get on an airplane, you have a flight attendant. You don't have a waiter and a waitress, you have a server. Um, you don't have an accounting man and an accounting woman, right? You just have an accountant. So we needed a word that was going to do some neutralizing of gender. So um, seller instead of salesman, saleswoman. And the, the profession of selling, the activities, the skills, the, the behaviors of selling, that, that's sellership. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant. And I think it just coincides so perfectly. Like you said, you launched this crusade as of the beginning of this year, 2020, but it perfectly aligns with so much that's happening within our society. In fact, I saw a couple of new law changes that are happening. And there's a lot about changing with gender and declaration and making sure there is equal pay, equal rights, and there's so much about equality, and there's a lot that's happening in our world today that's removing the stigmas or saying this should be a man's profession or a woman's profession, and there's so much crossover with that. Of course, for decades now, we've seen this being a topic of conversation, but I really feel like it's coming full swing, and what you've done for our profession specifically, I think is pretty cool. So I encourage everybody to go follow you on Twitter because I follow you on Twitter. I love your tweets. I love retweeting your tweets. I've seen the sellership tweet a few times with the new definition of it. And I really encourage people to find you and go retweet the heck out of that so that we can continue to spread <laughs> this mission for you. you. I think that's Thank very you. exciting. What is your Twitter handle? It is my company name, uh, abbreviated. The company name is People First Productivity Solutions. The Twitter handle is People First, that's all spelled out, People First PS for Productivity Solutions. Okay, so. excellent, good. So let's talk about the second book that you worked on, and this was Stop Selling and Start Leading. And tell me what, what happened where you transitioned to say, I'm ready to write the second book. 
what happened leading up to that? What are you passionate about with this book and what it's doing for the teams that you get to work with, both on the sales and leadership side? Yeah. Well, I should say that it's really not the second book. It is the second oh. one I released, but there's a whole bunch of Discover Questions books. The next book that I will release was written a long time ago, and now I've just updated it. Um, and it's Discover Questions for Coaching, specifically for sales coaches. Um, so a um, whole different way of using questions. But I proceeded with Stop Selling and Start Leading because of the research that we did with buyers because of, the, of how emphatically the seller side of that research underscored what we were talking about. And it, it didn't make sense to withhold that. It was timely and it was important. Um, I'll tell you about the seller research because it's kind of interesting. So here we had done all this research with buyers. We gave them these 30 behaviors, which are more typically associated with leadership. They loved them. And then when we went to sellers, we didn't want to stack the deck. So we didn't use the word leadership. We didn't give them any behaviors. We just said, hey, tell us about the time when you were at your own personal best in selling. Tell us the story. And we collected over 500 stories from sellers of every stripe, all different kinds of industries and places. And then we mined through those stories to look for the behaviors. So when sellers thought they were at their personal best, were they in fact exhibiting these behaviors that, that buyers said were favorable? And sure enough, Every single one of those stories had many of those behaviors embedded. So we had to. We just had to go ahead and write that book. You know, it's so incredible. I really, really love the work that you're doing. Uncovering this, there's a psychological component to how we perform. There's performance that we have where we're almost on autopilot, where we stop trying to think and try to do certain things, and we can act more naturally like a human being. And I have found in some of my best sales conversations are the ones that don't look, sound, smell, appear to be anything of a sales conversation, yes. but we get to a really great outcome. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure for performance when you put the sales hat on and you're sitting down and you're gonna do sales. And especially if you've recently gone through training or coaching or you know a manager is recording the call or listening or gonna debrief with you or out in the field, there's a certain idea of as a salesperson that we have to perform and we have to check all the boxes and we have to do all the things and we've gotta ask the, those questions we were told to ask and it's a lot of pressure as a salesperson. And a lot of the reps that we have the luxury of coaching, I can feel the pressure on them. And so I try to remove that before we go into the sales meeting together. We do in the field sales coaching and training, and it's super fun. Mm -hmm. We pre-call playing together. We show up as their quote unquote, like sales manager or colleague or whoever they want us to be in that meeting. And we sit with them and we sometimes are even active in the conversation if it makes sense. So it's not like somebody with a notepad taking notes, but we have to get them in a comfort zone before we we walk in because I don't want them freaking out and panicking they have us there and I never want a salesperson to feel like they have to perform a certain way in the call what's more important for me is to have a great conversation with your prospective buyer is to ask you've heard this big open-ended questions I'm dying to read your book now because I want to know what some of your favorite conversation starter questions are to get the lay of the land my favorite discovery question to open it up after we get a verbal agenda and we make sure that we're all on the same page of what we're doing here because I can't see a misalignment when your prospect thinks you're getting one thing out of a meeting and the salesperson thinks you're getting another. So nipping that in the bud and covering that in the front part. But then in that transition, the first question is very level setting. And I ask my salespeople, and I do it myself, to just ask that big open-ended question of, 
there's a million ways you can ask it. How do we get to this point? What has transpired to this point? Give me the lay of the land. Help me understand what do I need to know in order for us to have a great conversation today. Catch me up to speed. And really, I just want to know what's not happening. There's a reason you took this meeting. We're here together today for a conversation. I got, I have to know what's missing. And when we, the quicker that we can get to the gap and those impact statements of their current state versus the desired future state, the salesperson knows the desired future state, how great the prospects, the buyer's life will be once they're on their product or service. But of course, the buyer doesn't know what that is. They only know their current state. And so the salesperson getting them to open up as much as possible of that current state and divulge all the details and really dig into them and really create profound conversation, come to conclusions, uh, diagnose, get your root cause, use a different word than diagnose, but uh, get your root cause and then get on their sidewalk. And then together we walk hand in hand through that. It's just so powerful. And I just love getting reps, get, getting them back to taking the pressure off. Yeah. Just have a conversation with the person that you're meeting with. It's amazing what you human beings can do together. So in a conversation. I do work that's very similar to yours, Mary, and um, especially oh, a few years back, I got to do a lot more infield than I unfortunately am able to do right now. I miss it. But um, going out on calls with, with sales reps, uh, whenever I saw that uptight or those, those got to make a sale kind of pressures, because you can read them if, if, if you know what to look for, right? You can read them and so can a buyer. But I would say, look, I can tell right now you're thinking about commission or so, uh, the meeting you had with your boss or, you know, tell me what's going on. So I let him tell me, oh, I'm under the gun. I got it, whatever. And I then have to reframe, right? So it's like, well, what if that's not what you went into this meeting thinking about? Let's turn it around. What do you think your buyer's thinking about? Can, can you help that person? What, what would it mean to you if you help that person? And, oh, by the way, if you help that person, would that help you make your goal? So how about we not put the cart before the horse and get back to this place right here, right now, the person you're about to talk to, let, let's make it all about them. And I think that diffuses a lot of tension too. When we're other oriented, we, we tend to just position ourselves very differently. It's all true. And I can't wait for people to listen to this and just embrace what you and I are talking about. We've done this so much. You and I, I'm sure combined have had the privilege of listening or being a part of thousands of hours of sales meetings and Absolutely. combining this knowledge. If our audience and our listeners today can take away anything is to slow it down and you've got to bring the human back in these conversations. Take your agenda out of it. There's nothing wrong with following a process. There's nothing wrong with ensuring that you're asking those key questions and you're making sure that you're building a really great case. But my big takeaways from today are do that with your prospect. Co-create the solution. Co-figure out the problem. Co-create the solution. And they're going to be that one asking you, hey, how do we get started on this? Which I think is brilliant. You gave our audience two amazing books that... I highly recommend that they read. I will also be reading them and um, also they'll be following you on Twitter. What else do you want our audience and listeners to know about you? And if there's something else on that, how do they get in touch with you? Ooh, I love it when people email me or stay in touch with me, LinkedIn, whatever, however you want to be in touch. But the other thing I would ask people to do is to check what you're doing and what I'm doing and what 70 some odd other sales experts are doing over on the sales experts channel, because it is a wealth of knowledge and no matter what you need, you're going to find something there to help you. Agreed. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it slipped my mind. The sales expert channel is something that I recently learned about. And I'm so honored that you asked me to be a part of this. I get to do my first webinar on January 24th. Of course, that'll be in the past once this podcast goes live. But 
I am so elated to be a part of this community. And I was pretty blown away by what you've created. You've pretty much found some of the best, brightest, most innovative sales coaches, consultants, and traders. You've pulled them all together. You've had them name themselves as a specific expert. So an area of focus where they shine so strongly, just really getting to what they were put on this plane to do and their superhuman talent. And then you've asked them to give their time and to do two educational webinars at a minimum per year that your audience of all these salespeople from individual contributor all the way through executive level business owners, anyone that's looking to digest the best of the best sales content and it's free, right? It's all free. Oh my gosh. Uh, we do have some live regional events. We had the Denver Sales Symposium last year. That was our, our first event. And those have a ticket price because, of course, we have hard costs associated with those. But I tell you, those ticket prices are pretty affordable and well worth it. So, you know, look out for the Sales Experts channel online and hopefully come into a city near you in 2020. It's, it's good stuff. Oh gosh, thank you so much for joining us today. You are an incredible woman. Thank you for doing this. I'm so glad you and I finally had a chance <laughs> to connect. All right, well, thank you for listening for another episode of the Quota Pressure Podcast. And make sure you subscribe to us at salesbq.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. We always have great content that we release monthly. We have blogs, we have tips, we have videos, we have you name it, anything to help you be a better salesperson and better sales leader. And for now, I'm signing off till next time.